you didn't notice, today is our bilingual service. If you were in here and you were wondering why you could understand words as you were singing and then all of a sudden you couldn't and you didn't know what was going on, uh, here at City Harvest, our family consists of two services. We have our 10 a.m. service that is in English and we have our 2 p.m. service that is in Spanish. Uh, they aren't two different churches. We're one family and that's why we like to come together like this. Uh, the difference between the two is the language spoken at them. Same message taking place, same um, vision taking place, same culture taking place as we gather as who God says we are, but being able to display that in two different ways to um, continue to reach those that will hear it in English and those that will hear it in Spanish. So it's exciting to come together um, in this way as a family. I personally love, I have a playlist. Uh, we were driving our daughter to Walla Walla this last um, Wednesday. And as we were driving, um, I put on a playlist called International Worship. And I'll just admit that the rest of my family didn't quite enjoy it as much as I did. But it is songs, any time I can find a song that I know, so that I kind of know the melody of it, but I can find it in a different language, I add it to that playlist and... I love it because to me it represents the body of Christ. And if you just take a quick second and you look around the room, um, what you see is that we don't all look the same. And uh, I was, the kids, uh, the youth, as you heard, the middle school and high school um, had their back to school camp. We kind of did camp in two different things this year. And they just did the back to school commissioning. And the idea was to commission them as they go back to school. But one of the things was talking about um, with our, our, in the back there on that wall, it has our vision, which is that each one of us would be living our identity and our purpose in Christ. And uh, what is our identity? What is our identity? It's who God says we are. But you know, you and I, we all struggle with knowing our true identity because we have insecurities. We have had people say things about us and say, you know what, you're no good at this. And all of a sudden we start to question, am I actually good at that? Should I do it? And then we hold back also in who God says we are because we're nervous of what other people might think of us. One of the things we did is, in there is, um, when I was speaking, I, I asked them how many, and let's just ask this room, how many of you have straight hair and you wish you had curly hair? Who has curly hair and you wish you had straight hair? Who feels that maybe you're shorter when being measured in your height and you wish you were taller? Anybody here taller when you're measuring your height and you wish you were shorter? Okay. Um, you know, each one of us, we always think that everybody else is confident. And we always think that everybody else is just just bold and knows exactly who they are and just loves exactly the way they are and that I'm the only one who's insecure. I'm the only one that wishes I looked different or that I had different giftings. Man, you know, I love playing sports. I'm extremely competitive, and, but I am absolutely horrific at playing sports. Um, I have almost zero hand-eye coordination and then I'm left-handed, and I was taught sports by a right-handed older brother, and so it just made for a really messy thing. I mentioned it before. When you go to do a layup, technically you're supposed to stretch your body to its full extent. So if you're right-handed, you're jumping off of your left foot, or if you're left-handed, you're jumping off of your right foot, and you're extending yourself. Well, I do it a neat way as I jump off of my left foot with my left hand. That way these two can kind of flap out here. So there's all sorts of things I wish I could do differently. I love throwing the football, but when I throw it, it's just not smooth and coming over my shoulder. It kind of comes from down here. And there's all sorts of things that I don't do well in that way. And I can look at it and say, if only I could do that. What I have to become confident in, though, is who God made me. And why did he make me this way? And in that, how can we bring him glory? And that's what we're about. And we believe we do that by being with God, spending, taking time, making space. It's not just something where it's like, God, I'm gonna go run some errands. You wanna come along with me? 
It's no, I'm gonna stop what I'm doing because I wanna be with God. Walking with Jesus, you and I are Christ's ambassadors. That means we don't represent our own kingdom. We're not the president and we're not the king. We're the ambassador. Our job is to go and represent his kingdom to others. We love others. It's all just a bunch of theory and it's all hypocritical if we receive all the goodness but we don't then show it to other people. The test of whether it's real for you and I is how do we treat other people with it? And we realize that we have to go with Holy Spirit. We need the power of Holy Spirit. The disciples were told by Jesus Christ to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them. And as they were empowered, then they would go and do even greater things than he had done, meaning it would go to all the world And that's what we're about, and we're excited for it. And um, if you're new to City Harvest, you just went through the membership process right there. So uh, welcome to the family. Um, But uh, we are in, uh, well, first, before we get into this, I just want to appreciate, um, would the five youth pastors stand up? Where's Jeremiah? So I just want to acknowledge them. One of the things we do unique here is we operate in teams, and meaning there's not one department head, one person who's in charge. They are. What happens if a decision needs to be made? Who, which one of them actually makes the decision? Great question. They do. Uh, What happens if they don't agree? They work it out. Yep, so these five, though, have been working very hard along with the team captains that serve with them in the youth ministry, Um, but taking the kids to two different camps and really uh, praying and asking God for direction and with this last camp and did an amazing job. So I just want to thank you guys publicly and acknowledge your hard work, the sacrifice it is for your family. Jacob just had, well, I shouldn't be appreciating Jacob. I should be appreciating Bailey, who just had a baby and released Jacob. (laughs) Jacob, you're so brave. You're so amazing. So anyways, you guys can be seated. Also, those of you that um, helped out with the back to school, we had a lot of different people changing up um, the way we did uh, praise and worship. Uh, Every session, did it with instruments, without instruments, a big band, a small band, because it's not about the size of the team, it's about the size of our heart, praising God. And uh, did that had quite a few different people come and share, and it was just neat for the youth to hear from us in the room and from our successes and our mistakes, even as we read in scripture, it's the same thing we read about people Um, So thank you guys all very much. All right, Jan, can I have the microphone? I asked uh, Jan Stahl to come up. And um, before she gets started, she is going to open our letter from James. And so I would ask that you actually don't open your Bible yet. Everyone always wants to open their Bible, which it's a good thing. I don't want to rain on that. But right now, I want you to hear this, not read along. I want you to hear this as a letter from James to us, the City Harvest family, that he is writing this letter to equip us. He's writing this letter to us as a church family to challenge us, to even take us where maybe we've gotten a little off track. Who, us? Yep, us. And how does he kind of bring us back to who does God want us to be? So hear this as a letter, not of yesterday gone by, but a letter that is living and alive today. We're gathered around the fire in the living room. And um, I was going to say grandma. Is that, is that okay? Um, the matriarch or whatever we're going to say here is going to read to us from Uncle James. This is James' letter to City Harvest. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, 
and either ignore the street person or say, oh, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to everyone, anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing the same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you, complete, when you complete the royal rule of the scriptures. Love one another as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you'll go, go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring the others. The same God who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you don't commit adultery... But go ahead and murder. Do you think your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. You know, I asked, thank you, Jan. I asked Jan to read it because she lives that out. So the whole, as we look at the book of James, we're looking at um, listening and doing. That you and I aren't just hearers. We don't just hear a message. We don't just open up our Bible and read it, which would be like listening and then not do. But we actually listen. We allow it to come and change us. It should convict us. In scripture, we hear that, you know, God, he, he, he's the one who's molding. Like, we're a piece of clay, and he's going to make, uh, how many of you took pottery, maybe in high school, and you've kind of made a couple things, and, um, or, or he's the one, so he's shaping us to look the way he wants us to look. He's the one that's going and pruning. If you've ever worked in an orchard, there's a time when you need to cut the branches. You don't just let the tree just do whatever it wants. You have to prune it back, and it can be painful, and it can seem restrictive, but it's on purpose so that it can flourish more. That's what we want God to do, and we believe that his word does that, and, but we don't want to just hear, we want to walk it out. The beginning of that, you heard in that story, in the letter that was written, was that we shouldn't show favoritism to people. I wanted Jan to read it because to me, she lives that. She lives it to where I see her all the time talking to people and her face lights up, whether it's a single individual or a family of 15, whether the person is young or the person is older, whether they're male or female, regardless of the culture or the language that they speak, whether they look like they, their bank account has a lot of funds in it or they look like their bank account is withdrawn, it doesn't matter to Jan. She walks it out. My wife, Tamar, does the same thing. I say it every year when we go around our table and, and say something we appreciate. The thing that I appreciate about my wife more than anything else is that I see her over and over every day treat everyone exactly the same not based off of whether or not she can get something in return from them, not based off of whether they serve here a lot or not at all, not based off of whether they think she and I are amazing or they can't stand us. It doesn't matter. She treats them all the same. Jeremiah Stricker, one of the, the youth pastors, does the same thing. Every teenager that comes through, one of his roles as, the, as one of the youth pastors is to care, to make sure everyone gets a birthday text to care for them if they're in the hospital or they're going through something difficult. He does an outstanding job not seeing with his eyes. It's as if he is blind and he is just being walked up to someone and all he knows is it's a person in front of him and he treats them exactly the same. Mike and Lori Barth are my heroes. They have opened up their house for how many years now? Just, just around two zero, 20, 20 some odd years. Open their house up to whoever wants to come. 
And sometimes it hasn't been the easiest. They've had to uh, change their house, change actually the structure of their house so that people can get in, so it can serve those people's individual needs. They're not looking for how do we fill our home with easy people? How do we fill our home with people that will do exactly what we say so we look like we're amazing leaders? How do we fill our home with people that tell us we're amazing? It's no, how do we fill our home with people that need a home? How do we fill our home with people that are lonely and broken and need a family? You guys are amazing. Thank you. That is... That is what this is about. So we're reading James not just to read the Bible, not just because it's part of the the formula, part of the mixture of what we're baking up here. We're reading it because it's a letter that applies to you and I. And we don't want to just hear, we want to do. These three questions that are up here are for us to think about as we go through this series is how would our lives look different if we not only heard the words of James, but put them into practice? Imagine, if I actually did what the scripture's saying, how would my life look different? How would we as City Harvest, as a church family, look different collectively if we not only heard the truth of this book, but then put it into practice? What would change in this room? What would change in our small groups? What would change in our impact in the city? Not whether or not we're getting praises and we're being written up in the paper. What would change in the impact in the way that we love others, in the way people would be able to come and taste and see that God is good? What would God do in us and through us if we were collectively transformed by this truth? You have a Bible turn to James chapter 2. We're going to read through this again. But I ask that if maybe you get a little bored, I remember being young. It's easier to say it that I was young, but I've had it happen when I'm older and someone's reading the Bible and I get lost in it and I don't totally hear it. It's kind of like, okay, get to the point when you start telling me things. We want to open the word as to power. The power isn't in a story I'm going to tell or whoever's up here is going to share. The the power isn't in the way I bring it to life. The power is in the word and us saying, I want the word to transform me. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Let's just come right out and say we all do this. You and I, every single one of us in this room, show favoritism. One of the ways we do it, even as a church, is sometimes we have this belief of I'm going through something and I need one of the special people to pray for me. Let's just be vulnerable and honest. Who here has ever had that thought? Okay? I've been at uh, church services or like conferences and they'll have people come forward and receive prayer. And I come up and you know what's going through my head isn't, Lord, I need you to transform me. It's there somewhere, but I struggle to find that that thought it's Lord please don't let those people come and pray for me God that one everyone knows who he is I already heard him speak and there was such truth let him as if somehow that is going to impact me more and change me more than if someone else comes why am I coming to the altar because I want to up my um my personal belief of my self-worth based off of who noticed me and chose to come up and pray for me? Or am I coming up because I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to see that I'm here saying, I need you to transform me. What's the reason? Many times we have something we're going through and it's like, well, I I need to share it with somebody, but I gotta make sure I share it with someone who kind of in the structure of things is kind of up there. Jesus wants us to be in community with one another and to not show favoritism and to not see some people as common and some people as special. I'll tell you, in my life, some of the people who've had the greatest impact in my life 
did not have a title. They did not have some public ministry that made them look special. They did not anything like that. What they had was heart. What they were was someone who was surrendered to Jesus and they chose to treat me as a human being and show me love. Verse two through four, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, ah, nah, you can go stand over there. Or else, you know what, why don't you just come sit on the floor? Well, doesn't this discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? The answer to his question is absolutely it does. Remember growing up in being in youth group in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, working with youth, one of the things that was common to do is at a youth camp or at a conference is uh, whoever was speaking would actually ask somebody to dress up pretty grungy and kind of make themselves smell and be a little weird and to come into the meeting and they would start preaching a message like this about we don't judge and we should be welcoming everybody and all of a sudden say, hey, you know, Scott, will you stand? And um, you just looked the part for me today. No, just joking. <laughs> and say, you know, um, you know, who welcomed Scott when he came in? We say that we're welcoming and we, we greeted everyone at the door. Did, did anyone, when Scott came in, or were you wondering, I don't know if it's safe. I don't want my children around Scott. Or, ah, you know what, um, he, he might steal my purse, so I better hide it and go sit somewhere else. Or I bet he's gonna, I bet he's gonna smell, and I have a sensitive nose. I gag real easy, so I'm gonna make sure I sit somewhere different. Or do we see a human being, and they would bring it to life to bring conviction. Thank you, Scott. But you do look nice. Simple, but nice. When I come to church, I don't want to, I know that I have selfish motives. Just because my job is to get up here on a pseudo-frequent basis doesn't mean that I have all pure desires. I pray two prayers as I come to church every Sunday because I want to confront my selfishness. I want to confront things that aren't pure. I say, Lord, I want you to bring whoever you want to come today. You wake them up. It's not my job to post some catchy thing. And even if I try, you guys all know me well enough to know that it wouldn't be catchy. You'd just be like, oh, dear God, quit trying. <laughs> it's not my job to send out an email to try to hopefully grab you and hook you. There's sometimes where we would do that to inform you and say, here's why. But every week's a good week to be in church. Every Sunday's a good Sunday to come and celebrate what God is doing. But I don't want to also be where the whole time, instead of me worshiping, I'm kind of counting how many empty seats are there. And, huh, interesting. I could have sworn they said, you know, Wendy's not here. I could have sworn Wendy told me she was going to be here. And I start wondering these thoughts. I want to be free of that and be like, Lord, my job is just to be obedient and share what you ask me to share. Other than that, God, this is, these are your people. This is your house. You want three people to come? Three people come. You want to fill it? Fill it. Doesn't matter to me. Then I also pray, Lord, you got to bring in the money. It is the weirdest thing to lead an organization where the whole idea is to help people, to care for people, to, um, to walk with people through difficult situations, to help people see that, that God believes in them so much more than they do, and to raise their, 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 to their limitations. But yet, there's this business organizational side of it where you gotta pay the staff salaries. You have to pay for utilities. There are events. There are kids that go to camp that need scholarships. There's... there's different things like that that we need to do. I don't want to be consumed by that. So the two prayers I pray all the time, Lord, this is your family. Help me just to be faithful. You bring who you want. And God, you, it's your job to supply the money, not my job to squeeze the money out. Because what I know, and so how does that apply to this? 
Thank you for asking me. It's because I don't want to look at you with a false motive of I'm going to greet Jorge because, dude, with that haircut, the way you got it slicked back, you have to have a lot of money. I mean, yeah, you do. I mean, it is just clear. And so I make a special point of just coming up to Jorge every Sunday and, hey, brother, God is good, isn't he? Yeah, he blesses us. And then I come up to Ken and I saw the car he drove up in. And so just across from the lobby, I just kind of like, hey, Ken, great to see you, man. So glad God is good and leave it at that. I don't want my motive to change, and your motive shouldn't change either. What we need to be able to see, and you've already heard me share it if you've been here for several weeks, is that's what we wanted our youth to get out of going to Camp Attitude, is to not see a disability, to not see whether someone was walking with crutches or sitting in a wheelchair that they had to move with their arms or whether they were a quadriplegic and they couldn't move it at all, whether they talked through breathing into a straw and different strokes or whether they mumbled words that you could barely hear, whether they took food coming in through a tube or whether they were able to, to sit there and actually talk with people and eat and play the games whether they had so many sensory things where they couldn't stand still and they had a, you know, whatever it was that we wouldn't see from the outside, but we would see a human being. Lord, help us as a church to see humans, to not see political parties, to not see, God, whether or not we agree with their lifestyle or not, to not see whether or not we think they, they're, they're, they're fi- where their finances are at, to not see whether or not we think they're going to be an easy friend or a difficult friend, to not see whether or not we think they're going to build us up or what it is, but that we would see your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name. All right, verse 5. Through seven, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Now, this isn't saying that God has favorites and all the, the poor, if you, if you don't have money, It's just an easy walk in, and if you have money, he doesn't like you. What it's talking about is the idea that when we don't have something and we have lack, we have a greater dependency on Jesus because we can't rest our assurance in our own means. And it's a struggle when we have a lot of means. Just look at your prayer life. I'm pretty certain if you start thinking about it, When it comes down to it, you pray and read your Bible a tad bit more when things aren't going well for you. When you're in a financial crunch, when your child is potentially getting a death diagnosis, when um, you, you just got fired and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, when something like that happens, man, we get real spiritual real quick. I mean... It's as if we just, you know, who needs a couch? I'm always on my knees because I'm always praying. Because God, I just love you. And right now, because I love you so much, I just need you to come and intervene on my behalf. There's something that happens in desperation. So the point isn't whether or not you have money or don't have money. The point is, where's our desperation? Do, are we resting assured in what we have here on earth as, well, I'm okay. I don't need to push in that much because I have all of this. Or are we like, Lord, this is nothing. It can come today and it can be gone tomorrow. I'm here. How many of you older-ish people, you lived through the late 70s and early 80s, and if you wanted to buy a house, it was like 20-some-odd percent for, um, for interest rates, and you were in line to get gas. And then you kind of got a job and things got a little bit better and, oh, shoot, man, the stock market was taken off in the late 90s. And then you went through 9-11 and it crashed. huh? And then there was this neat idea that you could borrow money and you wouldn't really even have to pay any interest. So you decided, you know what, I'm going to be a real estate mogul and I'm going I'm to start buying up a whole bunch of rentals. And then 2007, 2008 hit 
and you had to file bankruptcy and foreclose and all sorts of things. It can go up and down. God is consistent. We put our trust in God. How does this correlate to it? Well, because if our trust isn't in God and we're impressed by other, by tangible things here on earth, then that means we're going to, you can't help it, you're going to be impressed then and give favor to people that then bring or have what you value. Which then means you're going to show favoritism. Verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking that law. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same, so he gives an example here, for the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you did not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. Rich young ruler. Jesus was sharing about this, this guy who came, and he wanted to follow Jesus, and, and he's basically saying, I've done all of this. But Jesus knew his heart and said, give up all your wealth. Get rid of it all. Even though he had obeyed all these these commands, and even though he knew the scripture, and even though he practiced the Sabbath and did all these things, he wasn't willing to give that up. He was still falling short. God is calling for all of us. Last part here. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. It's so easy for you and I to receive the free gift of love and forgiveness from God. But to come up with reasons, justifications, at why someone else isn't worthy of the same gift. The problem with it is we might be right in why we think they're not worthy of it. But in making that statement, we're not worthy either. You and I aren't worthy. We didn't do something to earn it. Two weeks ago, I was bothered by something, had some hurt feelings, and something was affecting me. And I remember I went on a walk, and I was praying and I thought, well, I should start by asking for uh, forgiving the person, giving the situation to God and forgiving the individual. So I started praying and said I wanted to forgive them. And all of a sudden, I felt this check. Are you, are you willing, though, to let go of it? And I instantly, in my mind, I'm like, no, no, I'm not, because I'm waiting for the moment where we can talk about it, and I need to still be able to bring it up as proof to, my, to make my case. Then all of a sudden, I felt God saying, that ain't forgiveness, Pete. And I had to decide, do I want to hold on to it because I want to go to court with the issue? Or do I want to let go of it because he has freely forgiven me, and so therefore, I'm going to freely forgive others? How's this correlate? God has welcomed us into his family, regardless of how we look, regardless of what we have, but because we are his sons and daughters. Therefore, if we're gonna accept that, it is our job, it is our role to go and do the same exact thing for anybody that comes in, to love them in the way that Jesus loved us. Can I tell you that when you came to Jesus, you did not vote the way he wanted you to or like him? You did not have the morals that he wanted you to have. You didn't look at yourself the way he wanted you to look at yourself. You didn't sound, you used language, even if you weren't cussing, you still had words come off of your mouth that weren't words he condoned. You still treated people poorly, but he accepted us in. Last thing about showing favoritism 
is I believe it actually says more about us than it does the other person. Because when we judge someone, we're actually judging them based off of the way that we judge ourselves and the way that we perceive other people are judging us. If you want to find somebody that loves people well, they believed they are, they believe they are loved by God well. And it gives them the freedom then to love others well. So my hope, my prayer, is that for all of us, that we would learn to accept God's love for us. We would live our identity, who he says we are. Not who someone said you were when you were a kid, not what circumstances have kind of pointed to who you are, but who does God say you are? And we would accept it. And from that place, to fully embrace it is then to fully offer it. That's the whole part. If we're not showing mercy, we're not also getting mercy. To fully embrace it then means that we fully offer it as well. And so we're being challenged to do that. That's walking out our purpose in who God has called us to be. There's the part of who he says we are, but then there's the part of what he wants us to go out and do. We gotta listen to it and we gotta do it. And as we do, I believe we're gonna see our city transformed. Talking to the youth this weekend about just going back to school. And the objective isn't, when I was in, in uh, uh, youth group and I remember going to youth camps and the, the big thing, man, the, the ultimate altar call. I mean, there is a whole bunch for if you struggle with this sin, we pray and if you wanna come to the altar. But I'm talking the big cojona, I mean, this was the biggie, was are you willing to get, I'm not gonna do it on this table because it might break it, but are you willing to go to your cafeteria? How many of you guys, it was still cool to eat in the cafeteria when you were growing up, anybody? Are you willing to go to the cafeteria and get up on the table and just in the middle of lunch be, hey everybody, can I get your attention? My name's Peter and I just want you to know I've given my life to Jesus Christ. Man, he is my homie and I love him. And I just want you to know that if you turn from your sins and you call unto his name, that he will save you too. And somehow if you did that, you were the, I'm sorry if I hurt anybody's ears. If you did that, that you were the ultimate of the ultimate. I mean, that was the special forces of teenage Christianity. You weren't just on, you were not just a Navy SEAL, you were SEAL Team 6. I mean, you were the it thing if you could do that. You know what, my prayer, and we're gonna be praying right here in a couple minutes for our students going into kindergarten through going into 12th grade. And we're gonna pray for anybody in here that is a teacher or you, whether a substitute teacher, full-time teacher, or you, you work in the schools, or whether you're a homeschooling parent. We wanna commission you to walk out your eye first to know who God says you are. Because my desire, and I'm pointing over here because there's a lot of them over here wearing their shirts. My desire for our students isn't, if, if, if God tells them to get up on the table and do that, be obedient and do it. But the bigger thing is, can they walk around and see someone that maybe is kind of off to their side and to acknowledge them as a human being? Can they see someone that they know gets kind of bullied and mocked and to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come alongside you and I'm not gonna let that happen. Can they see someone that's obviously struggling with something and say, you know what, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna help them out. That is walking out our faith. It doesn't have to be standing on a table. But you know, for you and I, whether it's our neighborhood or it's our workplace, it's the same call. When we see trash out in front of our neighbor's house, do we think, I hope they pick it up? Or, oh gosh, if it's here five more mornings after today, I will finally pick it up. But I'm gonna leave a note. I mean, they're gonna know that I picked it up. I'm gonna huff and puff the entire time I do it. 
Or do I go and serve them? I see someone with a blown out tire, but I'm, man, I got an important schedule, I'm busy. But it's obvious they've never been taught how to. Well, that idiot, dad should have taught them how. Well, maybe their dad wasn't home. We judge all the time. Are we willing to actually walk out our faith? Are we willing to live it out and be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? To not see what looks different, to not see what looks unfamiliar, to not even see what seems offensive to us because you and I are offensive to Jesus in the sense that it's not like I walk in. Here's a, here's a thing. Whether you have kids or not, I want you to think of this analogy. You have three adult children. You're so happy. They're, they've all decided, their in-laws all released them, and they're all coming to your house for Thanksgiving, all of them. And you love them all, and you're also so excited because they happen to all be getting along right at this current moment. One of them is a doctor, makes really good money, has a really nice car, nice house, really good with their words. Another one is a school teacher has chosen a career that maybe doesn't pay a lot, but just wants to give and speak true identity into students. Another one was abused as a kid and ever since that time has struggled. Gets a job, but then somehow ends up finding that they get fired. Goes and finds another job and starts making money and then starts spending kind of thinking if I buy these things, I'm gonna feel better and then kind of overspends and loses a whole bunch of things. Their car gets taken away. When your three children come to Thanksgiving, are you gonna jump up and down when the doctor gets out of their car and then just kind of briefly give a wave to the one who struggles? No. Because you don't see their bank accounts. You don't see their clothing. You see your three children. You don't love this. You love what's inside of them. That's what Jesus is asking us to do because that's exactly what Jesus does with you and I. So Lord, I ask that you would help us. God, I, I, I ask that you would convict us, continue to challenge us and convict us to not live by our own standards, to not live in our own minds and what seems right. But God, to get into the word, that we would meditate even on just chapter two of James this week, read it every single day and say, Lord, I don't wanna just read the words, but God, I want these words to come and shape me, to change me so that I represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you... Uh, Students, so if you are in kindergarten through, um, oh, will you put up the quick question to consider? We can just leave this up here so if someone's getting bored, they can just look at it and get convicted. But um, this is just something for you to think about, just a little light reading uh, while we're in here for the rest of the morning. But in what ways are you showing favoritism in how you treat others and what does that reveal about you? And so for us to think about, I, I would ask that you do read James chapter two. The first half we talked about today, we're gonna to talk about the second half next Sunday. But read it every day. Maybe read it in a different translation. Yes, that might even include the message, ladies and gentlemen. And if you wanna be really, really, really edgy and risky, you might open up the passion, but don't tell anybody that you opened it up, okay? But then read it in the ESV or the NASB, um, if you don't want to understand it, read it in the King James. Uh, but open it up, read it, and let it come alive to you in new ways and see what God says through it. Okay, we want to commission our students. So if you are in kindergarten, you're going into kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, will you please stand up? Come on. Stand nice and tall, stay standing. Now, if you are a full-time or substitute teacher, you work in the school system, you're a coach, 
or you're a homeschool parent, will you stand with them as well? So here's what we want to do. I want you guys to stay standing. Everyone else stay seating for a minute until we get through the instructions. What we're going to do, and if you look around the room, it's kind of tilting to one end. We did not do, um, in flying this plane, we did not weight it properly. We're going to get up, and we're going to go around, and we're going to pray for them. That every person would have a hand on their shoulder, and we're just praying over them and commissioning them as they go into this year. Whether they're a parent who's doing homeschooling, whether they're a teacher, they're a coach, they're involved in a way that's speaking in, we can sit here and throw rocks at the school systems all day long. But you know what? Throwing a rock at it doesn't change a gosh darn thing. You know what changes something? Is believing Sue as a substitute teacher. Is Lord, give her a prophetic vision to see into people's lives, students' lives. Lord, even if there is a limitation at what she can and can't say, that God, you would give her creative ways to say what they say she can't say, but she knows she needs to say to where it impacts their life and heart. That is, they make eye contact with her, that they would know, Jesus, that you are real, that they would see you go home being like, I know there's something there. God, we pray for our students and We ask that you would give them boldness, not to act like a Christian, not to act religious, but to be who you made them to be. Whether they're shy, they're outgoing, athletic or not, super intelligent, taking the AP courses, or they're struggling and they got one-on-one coaching going on, whatever it is, Lord, speak to them. So will you just get around, anybody that's standing up, some of you on the east side are going to have to move over to the west side, and let's take a couple minutes, and we're just going to commission them and pray over them. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. God knew every single one of us in this room before we were born. He knew us in our mother's womb, and he had a reason for it. And you were already made to be able to walk out that reason. Here's his response, Jeremiah's response, and it's similar in so many ways to the way you and I respond. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I am too young. I'm not educated. I don't know the right people. I wasn't born into the right family. My my family's so dysfunctional. I, I don't have the resources. The Lord replied, don't say those things. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. He doesn't say people won't mock you. He doesn't say you might not have a friend that that turns their back on you. He doesn't say that everything will always go perfect for you. What he says is don't be afraid of the people or what they do. For what? I will be with you and I will protect you. He'll be with us. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know, he doesn't just end it with a period. He ends it with an explanation point. He's not like, that's just an idea. He says, I have spoken, meaning like, we're done talking about it, man. Scott, we're done talking about it. There's no more conversation. I don't know, parents, if you've ever told your kids that, kind of like, yeah, cool, we're done, we're done. He's saying we're done because he wants us to believe it and he wants us to walk it out. We're gonna, they're gonna sing a song. And uh, Hosanna. And as they sing it, we got a communion elements up here at the front. We got them at both giving stations as well. As we sing it, what I ask is that you realize that Jesus is commissioning you today, whether you're a student, a parent, or not. He's commissioning. You live somewhere where he wants you to have impact. 
You go to work or you go to school somewhere or you're in a neighborhood where he wants you to have impact. The idea isn't can we be super Christians? The idea is can we be obedient? And do we give the same love, the same forgiveness and the same mercy that he has given us? So as we go into this song, what I ask is that you just take a moment to pray yourself. Lord, show me what are those things you wanna change in me? And that then you go to communion. Jesus said to do it in remembrance of him. What are we remembering? We're remembering that he saw us in our worst state ever. And he said, I'm coming and I'm coming to be with you. It's not because I'm impressed by you. It's not because of all the things you do for me. It's because my father loves you and I love you so much. You have something that's gonna kill you. You have a disease of selfishness. But I'm gonna go up on that cross and I'm gonna let my life come to an end so that through the brokenness and through the shedding of my blood, you will live. That that disease will be cured in you and you will live forever. And I've forgiven you. And that's what we do with communion. The cracker represents his broken body. A little cup of juice represents his shed blood. It's also a way, so we do it in remembrance, but it's also a way for us to make a covenant with Jesus Christ. Whether you got saved at six months and baptized at nine months, whether you walked in here today and you're kind of skeptical of this whole church thing and faith, you've been burned by it. What I want you to know is God's not scared of your doubt. He's not scared of your frustrations. He's not scared even of your skepticism. He designed your mind. He made you a specific way on purpose. He sees each and every single one of us and he's inviting us to his table because he doesn't see those three children and judge them by the outward. He sees his children and he loves them because we're his. So if you need a call on Jesus for the first time or maybe the hundredth time, I ask that as you go, you just take those two elements and you say, Lord, man, I'm struggling with this whole idea. Or God, I've been resisting it for years, but today I want it to become real. Or today I wanna be willing to be made willing to maybe encounter you for the first time. I wanna give you a chance to reveal yourself to me. Whatever it is that we would open up our hearts and also kind of seal the deal that as we go, we're going out as his ambassadors to represent him in the way that he's represented us. So as they sing, you go get the elements and you take them on your own. This is between you and Jesus.